Book Two, Chapter Twenty Four of the Mystical City of God, Volume Three, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book Two, Chapter Twenty Four. The sight of Christ is opened with a lance as his body hangs on the cross. He is taken down and buried. The doings of the Blessed Mother on this occasion and until she returned to the cenacle. The evangelist St. John tells us that near the cross stood Mary, the most holy mother of Jesus, with Mary Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. Although this is said of the time before Jesus expired, it must be understood that the unconquerable queen remained also afterwards, always standing beneath the cross and adoring her dead Jesus and his divinity, inseparably united to his sacred body. Amid the impetuous floods of sorrow that penetrated to the inmost recesses of her chastest heart, the great lady remained immovably constant in the exercise of ineffable virtues, while contemplating within her the mysteries of man's redemption and the order in which divine wisdom disposed of all these sacraments. The greatest affliction of the mother of mercy was the traitorous ingratitude which men, to their own great loss, would show toward this extraordinary blessing, so worthy of eternal thanksgiving. But now she was especially solicitous for the burial of the sacred body of her divine son, and how to procure someone to take it down from the cross. Full of this sorrowful anxiety, keeping her heavenly eyes riveted upon it, she turned to her holy angels around her and spoke to them. Ministers of the Most High, my friends in tribulation, you know that there is no sorrow like unto my sorrow. Tell me then, how shall I take down from the cross, whom my soul loves? How and where shall I give him honorable burial, since this duty pertains to me as his mother? Tell me what to do, and assist me on this occasion by your diligence. The holy angels answered, our queen and mistress, let thy afflicted heart be dilated for what is still to be born. The omnipotent Lord has concealed his glory and power from mortals in order to subject himself to the cruelty of man's impious malice and has always permitted the laws established for the course of human events to be fulfilled. One of them is that the condemned shall not leave the cross without the consent of the judge. We are ready and able to obey thee and to defend our true God and creator, but his will restrains us, because he wishes to justify his cause to the end, and to shed the rest of the blood still in him for the benefit of mankind, and in order that he may bind them still more firmly, to make a return for his copious and redeeming love. Psalm 79 verse 7. If they do not avail themselves of this blessing as they ought, their punishment shall be deplorable, and its severity shall make amends for the long-suffering of God in delaying his vengeance. This answer of the angels increased the sorrow of the afflicted mother, for it had not been as yet revealed to her that her divine son should be wounded by the lance, and the fear of what should happen to the sacred body renewed her tribulation and anxiety. She soon saw an armed band approaching Calvary, and in her dread of some new outrage against the deceased Savior, she spoke to St. John and the pious women. Alas, now shall my affliction reach its utmost and transfix my heart. Is it possible that the executioners and the Jews are not yet satisfied with having put to death my son and Lord? Shall they now heap more injury upon his dead body? 
It was the evening of the great Sabbath of the Jews, and in order to celebrate it with unburdened minds, they had asked Pilate for permission to shatter the limbs of the three men sentenced, so that, their death being hastened, they might be taken down from the crosses, and not left on them for the following day. With this intent, the company of soldiers, which Mary now saw, had come to Mount Calvary. As they perceived the two thieves still alive, they broke their limbs, and so hastened their end. John chapter 19 verse 31. But when they examined Jesus, they found him already dead, and therefore did not break his bones, thus fulfilling the mysterious prophecy in Exodus. Exodus chapter 12 verse 46. Commanding that no bones be broken in the figurative lamb to be eaten for the pash. But a soldier by the name of Longinus, approaching the cross of Christ, thrust his lance through the side of the Savior. Immediately water and blood flowed from the wound, as St. John, who saw it and who gives testimony of the truth, assures us. John chapter 19 verse 34. This wounding of the lance, which could not be felt by the sacred and dead body of the Lord, was felt by the most blessed mother in his stead, and in the same manner as if her chaste bosom had been pierced. But even this pain was exceeded by the affliction of her most holy soul, in witnessing the cruel laceration of the breast of her dead son. At the same time, moved by compassion and love, and in forgetfulness of her own sorrow, she said to Longinus, the Almighty look upon thee with eyes of mercy, for the pain thou hast caused my soul. So far and no farther went her indignation, or more properly, her most merciful meekness, for the instruction of all of us who are ever injured. For to the mind of the sweetest dove, this injury to the dead Christ weighed most heavily, and the retribution sought by her for the delinquent was one of the greatest blessings, namely that God should look upon him with eyes of mercy and return blessings and gifts of grace for the offense. Thus it also happened, for the Savior, moved by the prayer of his blessed mother, ordained that some of the blood and water from his sacred side should drop upon the face of Longinus and restore to him his eyesight, which he had almost lost. At the same time, sight was given to his soul, so that he recognized in the crucified his Savior, whom he had so inhumanly mutilated. Through this enlightenment, Longinus was converted, weeping over his sins and having washed them in the blood and water of the side of Christ. He openly acknowledged and confessed him as the true God and Savior of the world. He proclaimed him as such in the presence of the Jews, confounding by his testimony their perfidy and hardness of heart. The most prudent queen, then, perceived the mystery of this lance thrust, namely, that in this last pouring forth of the blood and water issued forth the new church, cleansed and washed by the passion and death of Jesus, and that from his sacred side, as from the roots, should now spread out through the whole world the fruits of life eternal. She conferred within herself also upon the mystery of that rock struck by the rod of divine justice. Exodus chapter 17 verse 6 in order that the living waters might issue forth, quenching the thirst of all the human race, and recreating and refreshing all who betook themselves to drink therefrom. She considered the coincidence of the five fountains from the wounds of his hands, feet, and sides, which opened up the new paradise of the most holy humanity of our Savior, and which were more copious and powerful to fertilize the earth than those of the terrestrial paradise, divided into four streams over the surface of the globe. Genesis chapter 2 verse 10. 
These and other mysteries the great lady rehearsed in a canticle of praise, which she composed in honor of her divine son, after his being wounded by the lance. Together with this canticle, she poured forth a most fervent prayer, that all these mysteries of the redemption be verified in the blessing spread over the whole human race. The evening of that day of the Periscave was already approaching, and the loving mother had as yet no solution for the difficulty of the burial of her dead son, which she desired so much. But the Lord ordained that the tribulations of his tenderest mother should be relieved by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, whom he had inspired with the thought of caring for the burial of their master. They were both just men and disciples of the Lord, although not of the seventy-two, for they had not as yet openly confessed themselves as disciples, for fear of the Jews, who suspected and hated as enemies all those that followed Christ and acknowledged him as teacher. The dispositions of divine providence concerning the burial of her son had not been made known to the most prudent virgin, and thus her painful anxiety increased to such an extent that she saw no way out of the difficulty. In her affliction, she raised her eyes to heaven and said, Eternal Father and my Lord, by the condescension of thy goodness and infinite wisdom, I was raised to the exalted dignity of being the mother of thy son, and by that same bounty of an immense God, thou hast permitted me to nurse him at my breast, nourish him, and accompany him to his death. Now it behooves me as his mother to give honorable burial to his sacred body, though I can go no farther than to desire it and deeply grieve, because I am unable to fulfill my wishes, I beseech thy divine majesty to provide some way for accomplishing my desires. This prayer the loving mother offered up after the sacred body of the Lord was perforated by the lance. Soon after she saw another group of men coming toward Calvary with ladders and other apparatus seemingly for the purpose of taking from the cross her priceless treasure. But as she did not know their intentions, she was tortured by new fears of the cruelty of the Jews, and turning to St. John, she said, My son, what may be the object of these people in coming with all these instruments? The apostle answered, Do not fear them that are coming, my lady, for they are Joseph and Nicodemus, with some of their servants, all of them friends and servants of thy divine son and my Lord. Joseph was just in the eyes of the Most High. John chapter 19 verse 38 a noble decurion in the employment of the government, a member of the council, who as is given us to understand in the gospel, had not consented to the resolves and the proceedings of the murderers of Christ, and who had recognized Jesus as the true Messiah. Although Joseph had been a secret disciple of the Lord, yet at his death, in consequence of the efficacious influence of the redemption, he openly confessed his adherence. Setting aside all fear of the envy of the Jews, and caring nothing for the power of the Romans, he went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Mark chapter 15 verse 43. In order to take him down from the cross and give him honorable burial, he openly maintained that he was innocent and the true son of God, as witnessed by the miracles of his life and death. Pilate dared not refuse the request of Joseph, but gave him full permission to dispose of the dead body of Jesus as he thought fit. With this permission, Joseph left the house of the judge and called upon Nicodemus. He too was a just man, learned in divine and human letters and in the holy scriptures, 
as is evident in what St. John related of him when he visited Christ at night in order to hear the doctrine of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 verse 2. Joseph provided the winding sheets and burial cloths for the body of Jesus, while Nicodemus bought 100 pounds of the spices which the Jews were accustomed to use in the burial of distinguished men. Matthew chapter 27 verse 59. Provided with these and other necessaries, they took their way to Calvary. They were accompanied by their servants and some other pious and devout persons, in whom likewise the blood shed for all by the crucified God had produced its salutary effects. They approached Most Holy Mary, who in the company of St. John and the Holy Women stood in inconceivable sorrow at the foot of the cross. Instead of a salute, their sorrow at the sight of so painful a spectacle as that of the divine crucified was roused to such vehemence and bitterness that Joseph and Nicodemus remained for a time prostrate at the feet of the queen and all of them at the foot of the cross without speaking a word. All of them wept and sighed most bitterly until the invincible queen raised them from the ground and animated and consoled them, and whereupon they saluted her in humble compassion. The most observant mother thanked them kindly, especially for the service they were about to render to their God and Savior, and promised them the reward in the name of him whose body they were to lay in the tomb. Joseph of Arimathea answered, Even now, Our Lady, do we feel in the secret of our hearts the sweet delight of the Divine Spirit, who has moved us to such love that we could never merit it or succeed in explaining it. Then they divested themselves of their mantles, and with their own hands, Joseph and Nicodemus placed the ladders to the Holy Cross. On these they ascended in order to detach the sacred body, while the glorious mother stood closely by, leaning on the arms of St. John and Mary Magdalene. It seemed to Joseph that the sorrow of the heavenly lady would be renewed when the sacred body should be lowered and she should touch it, and therefore he advised the apostle to take her aside in order to draw away her attention. But St. John, who knew better the invincible heart of the queen, answered that from the beginning she had stood by to witness the torments of the Lord, and that she would not leave him whom she venerated as her God and loved as the son of her womb. Nevertheless, they continued to urge the expediency of her retiring for a short time until they should lower their master from the cross. But the great lady responded, My dearest masters, since I was present, when my sweetest son was nailed to the cross, fear not to allow me to be present at his taking down, for this act of piety, though it shall affect my heart with new sorrow, will, in its very performance, afford a great relief. Thereupon they began to arrange for the taking down of the body. First they detached the crown from the head, laying bare the lacerations and deep wounds it had caused. They handed it down with great reverence and amid abundant tears, placing it in the hands of the sweetest mother. She received it prostrate on her knees, in deepest adoration, bathed it with her tears, permitting the sharp thorns to wound her virginal countenance, impressing it to her face. She asked the Eternal Father to inspire due veneration toward the sacred thorns in those Christians who should obtain possession of them in future times. In imitation of the mother, St. John with the pious women and the other faithful there present also adored it, and this they also did with the nails, handing them first to the Most Holy Mary for veneration and afterward showing their own reverence. 
Then the great lady placed herself on her knees, and held the unfolded cloth in her outstretched arms, ready to receive the dead body of her son. In order to assist Joseph and Nicodemus, St. John supported the head, and Mary Magdalene the feet, of Christ, and thus they tearfully and reverently placed him into the arms of his sweetest mother. This was to her an event of mixed sorrow and consolation. For in seeing him thus wounded, and all his beauty disfigured beyond all children of men. Psalm 44 verse 3. The sorrows of her most chaste heart were again renewed, and in holding him in her arms and at her breast, her incomparable sorrow was rejoiced, and her love satiated by the possession of her treasure. She looked upon him with supreme worship and reverence, shedding tears of blood. In union with her, as he rested in her arms, all the multitude of her attendant angels worshipped him, although unseen by all others except Mary. Then St. John first, and after him, all those present in their turn, adored the sacred body. The most prudent mother, seated on the ground, in the meanwhile, held him in her arms in order that they might satisfy their devotion. In all these proceedings, our great queen acted with such heavenly wisdom and prudence that she excited the admiration of the angels and men. For all her words were full of the deepest significance, the most winning affection and compassion for her deceased son, full of tenderness in her lamenting and full of mystery in sentiment and meaning. Her sorrow exceeded all that could ever be felt by mortals. She moved the hearts to compassion and tears. She enlightened all in the understanding of the sacrament, now transpiring under their hands. Above all, without failing in the least of her duties, she preserved her humble dignity and serenity of countenance in the midst of her heart-rending affliction. With uniform adaptation to the circumstances, she spoke to her beloved son, to the eternal father, to the angels, to the bystanders, and to the whole human race, for whose redemption the Lord had undergone his passion and death. I will not detain myself in particularizing the most prudent and sorrowful words of the lady on this occasion, for Christian piety will be able to conceive many of them, and I cannot stay to enumerate all these mysteries. Some time passed during which the sorrowful mother held at her breast the dead Jesus, and as evening was far advancing, St. John and Joseph besought her to allow the burial of her son and God to proceed. The most prudent mother yielded, and they now embalmed the sacred body, using all the hundred pounds of the spices and the aromatic ointments brought by Nicodemus. Thus anointed, the deified body was placed on a bier in order to be carried to the sepulchre. The heavenly queen, most attentive in her zealous love, called from heaven many choirs of angels, who, together with those of her guard, should accompany the burial of their creator. Immediately they descended from on high, in shapes visible to their queen and lady, though not to the rest. A procession of heavenly spirits was formed, and another of men, and the sacred body was borne along by St. John, Joseph, Nicodemus, and the centurion, who had confessed the Lord and now assisted at his burial. They were followed by the Blessed Mother, by Mary Magdalene, and the rest of the women disciples. Besides these, a large number of the faithful assisted, for many had been moved by the divine light and had come to Calvary after the lance thrust. All of them, in silence and in tears, joined the procession. They proceeded toward a nearby garden, where Joseph had hewn into the rock a new grave, in which nobody had as yet been buried or deposited. John chapter 19 verse 41. 
In this most blessed sepulchre, they placed the sacred body of Jesus. Before they closed it up with the heavy stone, the devout and prudent mother adored Christ anew, causing the admiration of men and angels. They imitated her, all of them adoring the crucified Savior, now resting in his grave. Thereupon they closed the sepulchre with the stone, which, according to the evangelist, was very heavy. Matthew chapter 27 verse 60. At the same time the graves, which had opened at the death of Christ, were again closed. For among other mysteries of their opening up was this, that these graves, as it were, unsealed themselves in order to receive him, whom the Jews had repudiated, when he was alive and their benefactor. At the command of the queen, many angels remained to guard the sepulchre, where she had left her heart. In the same order and silence in which they had come, they now returned to Calvary. The heavenly mistress of all virtues approached the holy cross and worshipped it in deepest reverence. In this Joseph and all the rest of the mourners followed her. It was already late and the sun had sunk when the great lady betook herself from Calvary to the house of the cenacle in the company of the faithful. Having brought her to the cenacle, St. John, the Marys, and the others took leave of her with many tears and sighs and asked for her benediction. The most humble and prudent lady thanked them for their service to her divine son and the consolation afforded her. She permitted them to depart with many hidden and interior favors and with the blessing of her most amiable and kindest heart. The Jews, confused and disturbed by the events, went to Pilate on the morning of the Sabbath and asked him for soldiers to guard the sepulchre. For Christ, this seducer, they said, had openly announced that after three days he would arise. Hence his disciples might steal the body and then say that he had arisen. Pilate yielded to this malicious measure and gave them the guard they desired, which they stationed at the sepulchre. Matthew chapter 28 verse 12. But the perfidious priests merely wished to palliate the event which they feared would really happen, as was manifest afterwards, when they bribed the soldiers of the guard to testify that Jesus had not arisen, but had been stolen by the disciples, as no counsel will prevail against God. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 30. The resurrection of Christ became only so much the more public, and was the more fully confirmed. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven gave me. My daughter, the lance thrust which my blessed son received in his side was cruel and very painful only to me, but its effects and mysteries are most sweet to those souls who know how to taste its sweetness. It was a great affliction to me, but whoever meets with this mysterious favor will find it a great relief and consolation in his sorrows. In order that thou mayest understand this and participate in it, Thou must know that my son and Lord, on account of his most ardent love for men, in addition to the wounds of the feet and hands, wished to open the wound of his heart, the seat of love, in order that through this port the souls might enter and there receive refuge and relief. This is the only retreat which I wish thee to seek during the time of thy banishment, and which thou must consider as thy habitation upon earth. There thou wilt find the conditions and laws of love for imitating me, and learn how for injuries thou must return blessings to all who commit them against thee and thine, just as thou hast seen me do, when I was grieved by the wounding of the side of my dead son. I assure thee, my dearest, that thou canst not do anything more adapted to the obtaining of the efficacious graces from the Almighty. The prayer which thou offerest in a forgiving spirit 
is powerful not only for thy own good, but for the good of the one that offends thee. For the kind heart of my son is easily moved, when he sees that creatures imitate him in pardoning offenders, and in praying for them. For they thereby participate in his most ardent charity manifested on the cross. Write this doctrine in thy heart, and in imitation of me practice this virtue, of which I thought so highly. Through this wound look upon the heart of Christ thy spouse and upon me, sweetly and ardently loving in it thy enemies and all creatures. Consider also the anxious and ever-ready providence of the Most High, in coming to the aid of the creatures that call to him in true confidence. This thou hast seen in my behalf, when I found myself afflicted, and at a loss concerning the proper burial of my divine Son. In order to come to my assistance in this plight, the Lord showed his sweet love by moving the hearts of Joseph and Nicodemus, and of the other faithful, to assist me in burying him. By their opportune help, I was so much consoled in this tribulation, that on account of their behavior and my prayer, the Most High filled them with wonderful influences of the divinity, by which they were regaled during the time of taking Jesus from the cross and his burial. And from that time on, these faithful were enlightened and filled with the mysteries of the redemption. This is the admirable disposition of the sweet and powerful providence of God, that in order to bind himself to do good to some of his creatures, he sends affliction upon others, thus giving an occasion for the practice of benevolence, so that at the same time those in necessity may be benefited. Thus the benefactor, on account of the good work he does, and on account of the prayer of the poor, is rewarded by receiving graces of which he otherwise would not be worthy. The Father of mercies, who inspires and assists the good work done, afterwards pays for it as if it were due injustice. For we can correspond to his inspirations merely according to our insignificant abilities, while all that is really good comes entirely from his hands. Letter of St. James, chapter 1, verse 17. Consider also the equity maintained by this providence in compensating the injuries received in patient suffering. For after my divine son had suffered death amid the contempt, dishonor, and blasphemies of men, the Most High at once provided for an honorable burial, and moved many to confess him as the true God and Redeemer, to proclaim him as holy, innocent, and just, and at the very time when they had finished their frightful crucifixion, to adore him as the Son of God. Even his enemies were made to feel within themselves the horror and confusion of their sin in persecuting him. Although these benefits availed not all men, yet all of them were effects of the innocent death of the Lord. I also concurred in my prayers, in order that the Lord might be acknowledged and honored by those known to me. End of chapter 24